Corinthians. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 17 this morning. It's on page uh, 952 in the Pew Bible, if you're using the Red Pew Bible this morning. Page 952. Let me remind you, once again, before we begin, that this is God's good and kind and gracious word that He has given to His people this morning as a way to encourage us and to exhort us, to rebuke us, but also to remind us of His great love for us. Let me read this for us. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding his word. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for giving us uh, your word, that by your word we might have a life. And I pray, Father, that today that we uh, would hear the gospel proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that through your servant Paul we might see Christ more clearly, and that uh, you would help our hearts to not be divided among ourselves as we are united in Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. A man was shipwrecked and deserted on an island for some time. And captain of a uh, huge boat liner was passing by this, uh, this island. And the crew members spotted a fire on this island that should not be there. So the captain got in a little boat and went to this island and discovered that a man had been there for some time. And there were three different structures on the island. The captain said, why do you have three different buildings here on this island? And the man said, oh, well, that one there, that one's where I live. He said, and that other one is the church that I attend. The captain said, what's the third one? He said, oh, that's the church I used to go to. That is an old, old, old joke. And it's funny every single time we hear the joke. Why is it funny? It's funny and really sad because too often it's true. The church oftentimes has divisions where there should not be divisions. And what we see oftentimes and what we see in the book of Corinthians is we really are jumping off and beginning the book of Corinthians, the meat of the book of Corinthians today. Uh, What we see here is Paul and his singular concern that the people of Jesus Christ be unified in Jesus. There are lots and lots and lots of issues 
in uh, the Corinthian church. There are kinds of moral issues that make us blush and make our skin crawl. uh, Things that we would probably in polite company never want to talk about. And yet, Paul spends more time in the book of 1 Corinthians dealing with the problem of unity. Division in the church is the most heinous sin that we can display amongst ourselves. That comes through loud and clear here. The greatest threat to the church, and this is really important for us to understand, the greatest threat to the church, the ancient church and today's church, to this church, is not cultural problems out there. The greatest threat to this church today is divisions from within the church. And Paul begins to expound on that today. He's going to spend four chapters dealing with these various divisions that are going on in the church. And then in the midst of doing that, he says, here is how you overcome these divisions as they arise. Today, one of the divisions arises because of personal preference. Paul deals with that today. And so we see in this, again, I'm very proud of my sermon title, The Pernicious Problem of Personal Preference. So let's uh, jump in. We're going to look at this passage in three ways. And first of all, in verse 10, you see Paul's appeal to the Corinthians. Paul's appeal. So there in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. Well, our translations, most English translations, use that word appeal. And it really is not strong enough to get across what Paul is wanting. Uh, Older translations will say, I exhort you. Well, nobody knows what the word exhort means anymore. And so new translations say, "What, what word do people understand? Appeal, an appeal, right? Well, an appeal oftentimes we think we're asking people to do things. And we really hope that they follow along With obedience. When our children are disobedient, we appeal to their logical side and we ask for them to think through their actions, but we know when we make that appeal that they will not listen because what they really need is an exhortation and they need to be urged to do something. And that's what Paul is saying here. So I want you to understand that when Paul says, I'm appealing to you, he's saying, I am urging you, I am telling you something for your own good. You must do this. This is not optional in the Corinthian church. He expects obedience to this command. And and before we get to the command, before we, we get to what he tells them to do, I want you to see the way that he approaches the Corinthians. Now, already in verse 1, he says that he is an apostle. And the apostles were the VIPs of the early church. They were the ones that Jesus handpicked to go out through all of the world to spread the gospel message, to grow the kingdom of God. He gave them power and might and all of the various things that he did, and everywhere that these apostles went, the Spirit of God went before them and behind them, and the world changed because of these men, and lives dramatically changed because of these men. Paul is a VIP in the church. And he has the authority that is given to him by our Lord and Master Jesus Christ to go in to knock some heads around and say, Y'all pay attention! But he doesn't do that. 
Look at what he says. He says, I urge you, brothers. This is where authority in the church really comes from. And this was really important for me this week as I think through some of the things that are going on in the church. Look at how Paul addresses these people. He says, I'm urging you as my brothers and sisters in Christ to be obedient to these things. That is real authority in the church. To say we are in the same family. We are among the same or in the same family together. And I am coming to you as a brother appealing, urging you to be obedient to the Lord because it is for your good. Paul says this twice in this passage. He says it once here in verse 10. But then also at the end of verse 11, he says, my brothers... Be obedient to the Lord because we're brothers together. Your disobedience in this matter affects all of your other brothers. Just like in the family, if one brother or one family member is messing up, everyone else is affected. Paul is appealing to them as a family, not as a VIP. Now, the Corinthian church had lots of VIPs. They were, uh, many of them were very wealthy, but then many of them were VLPs, very lowly people. VIPs very, and VLPs, and Paul says, I'm coming to you, all of us together in unity, and I'm appealing to you based upon this unity. He doesn't want forced obedience. He wants their heart. So what does he appeal for them to do? What does he urge for them to do? He wants them to agree He wants them to agree and be, he says, or agree that there should be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and of the same judgment. Uh, What's interesting about this, and you can go to uh, the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, and see this more clearly. Uh, I believe Ephesians was written after the book of Corinthians. By the time you get to the book of Ephesians, roughly 10 years later, Paul has solidified in his mind a little bit more, or a little bit uh, better, possibly, how it is that sanctification actually works. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, put off doing bad things, put on doing good things, and do that by thinking about Jesus. Well, you see the put off, put on, thinking about Jesus working its way out here, But it's not quite as formulaic as you find it in Ephesians chapter 4. What does Paul say to do? He says, I want you to put off divisions in the church. What should you put on? Well, you should put on, he says, thinking the same way. Being united and having the same mind and the same judgments. He says, and this is, this is the command, stop having divisions, stop disagreeing amongst yourselves, and begin to agree together and have the same mind. They need to use their brains. They need to think about certain things, and that's what Paul wants them to do. Uh, Paul is not asking for uniformity among them. But he wants unity over the essential things. And he's going to get to the essential things in a moment and explain to us what those essentials are. Um, The church of Jesus Christ and nowhere is the church of Jesus Christ called to look exactly the same. For everyone to be exactly the same. For everyone to have the same uniform, to wear the same exact thing, to speak the same language. 
No one is, nowhere in the scriptures are we told that the church of Christ is supposed to be exactly the same among all of the members at all times. There's not meant to be uniformity. God has all made us different. Some of us don't like wearing ties. Some of us like wearing bow ties. Those things are fine, right? We don't need uniformity among all of these things. But in the essential things, we absolutely need uniformity. And he says, he, under, he explains what that, uniform, or what that uh, unity comes from and, and where it comes from. He says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we are all under and called by the name of Jesus, we are under the banner of Jesus, we need to be in agreement in those essential things in Jesus. We, uh, Casey read for us a moment ago, Psalm 133, where we're told, where the Lord delights Whenever brothers dwell in unity, the Lord delights in unity. And, you know, Jesus, at the very end of his earthly ministry, right as he, you know, a few hours before he was going to the cross, he prayed in John 17, the high priestly prayer. And there he prays that God's people would be one with each other, even as Jesus and the Father are one together. And he would praise that we would be one with himself and the Father. That is an amazing thing. When Jesus prays, Jesus' concern is that his people dwell in unity together. So it's easy, right? Just Well, let's just go and be unified. Go ahead, let's just close it down, go be unified. That's where he's like, well, no, it's not easy. If it were easy, the Corinthian church wouldn't need to be told to do it. So how do you do it? Well, here's just a very simple thing. In order to, be, to have the same mind and to be in agreement with each other, you actually have to know what your brother and sister are thinking. Um, I think oftentimes in, in, um, in places in the South, because we can retreat back to our own homes uh, you can leave here today and you can go to your home and you don't have to see anybody from church for the next week that you might think you are actually unified with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It could just be that you're indifferent about them. In order to be unified, you actually have to know your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be involved in the lives of the people in the church. So there's a call here for us to get to know one another, to dive down deep into the lives of the people of the church, to share fellowship and to share each other's lives. And you know what's going to happen if that takes place? If we begin to do that, there's going to be divisions in the church. You know why? Because we're sinners. <laughs> because I sin and you sin and we're going to sin against each other and we're going to do things that we don't like and that's why we retreat to our homes but Paul here is saying, don't retreat. Get to know one another. Do the messy work of being involved in the lives of other Christians. You cannot retreat to your safe space. That is not unity. That's indifference. We have to actually know, this is the other thing that we have to know, to have the same mind. You have to know the things of the Lord. <laughs> you have to know right doctrine in order to agree with right doctrine. So there's a challenge here for each of us to avail ourselves of the Word of God more than just what's happening here on Sunday morning. I love that you're here to hear this sermon and that you're here to learn from the Lord, but if you're not actively 
participating in understanding and knowing the Lord throughout the week, 30 minutes on a Sunday morning is not going to cut it. You have great uh, resources available to you. Just on your phone right now, it's all being piped in that through the week, you have wonderful resources for you uh, to be able to hear from the Lord, to learn from the Lord in His Word, to learn right doctrine. And we offer Bible studies, and soon we're going to offer family fellowships and all of these things. And I'm here in my office. I'm happy to talk with you about these things. Um, I'm open for this. This is what we're here for. So in order to have uh, to be obedient to this, you actually have to know one another and you have to know the Lord. Okay, So that's the first thing, Paul's appeal. Paul's urging to the Corinthians, well, what was the problem? What was really going on in Corinth? And so here he begins and deals with this first issue, uh, the biggest problem in Corinth. And you see it in verses 11 and 12. He says, what I mean is that each one, or I'm sorry, verse 11, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Again, he's saying, my brothers, there's quarreling among you. Brothers are fighting with one another. Now, most brothers get along fine. Brothers and sisters hardly ever quarrel or fight, especially when they're right. I mean, no, that doesn't, we should understand this. This is a family. Families know each other really well, and there's going to be fighting among families. But he's saying, but remember, ultimately, there's, there's something really important. The standard, the base uh, that you need to start from is that you are a family together. And nothing is going to change the fact that you are a family. All right. So he begins there. He says, um, it's been reported by Chloe's people. Now, what's going on there? Um, it seems as though there's a little snitch in that church, right? Chloe and Chloe's people have run off to the Apostle Paul and they've reported back to him all the little problems and they're telling on people. If that's your first reaction to this, that, you, that there's a problem in the church and you're worried about Chloe being a gossip, okay, that's not what's happening here. Chloe is going back because she's concerned and Chloe's people, whoever they are, they're concerned about the divisions. And presumably, they've already attempted to fix these things by following the, the rules that Matthew 18 lays out for them. They've gone to them individually. They've approached them through, uh, through the church. And now they've gone to the next higher court, to Paul himself, to say there are some serious problems that need to be dealt with. So Chloe is concerned about the church. And her people are concerned about the church. And say so they go to Paul to help them uh, fix the problems that are there. What are the problems? Look in verse 12. What I mean is that each one of you say, says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Well, there's the problem. There apparently are four, maybe more, different divisions in the church of Corinth depending uh, or related to their favorite teacher of the Bible. Isn't that interesting? They are arguing among each other about who they follow uh, and, and, or who they don't follow. So these four different groups, it's an interesting list of names you have there. Uh, some groups saying, I follow Paul. Well, why would they follow Paul? It's natural to understand why they would. Paul was the one that came to Corinth, that planted this church, that first explained to them uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's through Paul that people were converted. And so they say, well, I'm a Paul follower. That's who I am, and, and, uh, and so I'm really important because I follow Paul. Well, not to be outdone, the next group says, yeah, but Paul is really, really boring. 
That's one of the problems in Corinth. And one of the things that they say and they criticize Paul over was that he was a bad speaker. There's that funny story in Acts where Paul is speaking and somebody falls out of a window because they fall asleep while he's preaching. And um, it's just amazing that that happens. Paul was a terrible preacher. It makes me feel good. If Paul was that bad of a preacher and God used him, maybe he'll use me as well. But, but, but the point there is that Apollos was a wonderful speaker. You see that in Acts chapter 18 where Apollos comes in and apparently Apollos had a golden tongue. He was able to preach and keep people awake and get people engaged and everyone loved listening to Apollos. He was a celebrity preacher. We have a lot of those around today. Uh, And he was maybe one of the first celebrity preachers in the early church. And so those people say, well, I follow Apollos. Well, the next group are those that follow Cephas. If you don't know, that's Peter, the apostle Peter. His name is Cephas, and it just means rock. He was rock. Peter uh, was, Cephas was his name in Hebrew. Peter was his name in Greek. And God made that, or Jesus made that play on words uh, for Peter. Well, why are these people saying they follow Peter? Well, Peter, I mean, as apostles go, you don't get more important than Peter. He was the one that Jesus singled out more than any of the other apostles. He was the one that did more in the ministry of Jesus than any of the other apostles. On the day of Pentecost, it was Peter that preached the first sermon that had 3,000 people come to know the Lord. So if you're going to follow one of the apostles, Peter's a pretty good choice, right? Well, then the fourth one, really interesting, the fourth one is you have some people saying, well, I follow Christ. And let me just say, these people are probably just the worst. I, I I think that they were the most self-righteous people in the church because they listen, they stand off, they're not engaging in the divisions that are happening, and they stand off and they're just going, oh goodness, these, these immature Christians, if only they knew, we're not to argue about who we follow, we follow Christ. Why don't y'all come and be like us and be Christ followers? Again, probably extremely self-righteous it would seem like that's a good idea that, that we need to follow Christ, and absolutely. The problem wasn't that they were following Christ. There's actually a real subtle problem that you see in, the, in this verse right before they say, I follow Christ. What's the problem? And it's the problem with all of those four groups. All four of those groups say, I, 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 I. All four of them and each individual in that church is putting themselves over and above everyone else. They are saying, my preference is this teacher. I'm going to follow this teacher because this teacher is the better teacher. I want this. I prefer this. And my preference is greater than your preference. And this preference, preferential treatment... <laughs> This wanting what I want over what another wants is destroying the Corinthian church. I, 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 I. Over and over, Paul says, I'm appealing to you, my brothers, indicating that we're all together in this. Well, this problem of personal preference is really the original problem of the original sin that you see in Genesis chapter 3. When Satan comes to Eve and says, you know, did God really say this? 
Don't you want what you want? Don't you want to be like God, preferring what you want over everything else? That's the original sin. So here in the Corinthian church, the original sin that Adam and Eve fell in has crept back into the church, and there's a danger of that happening even to us. The temptation is to put ourselves at the center of the universe and to say that what I want is more important than what anyone else wants. What's interesting is these people were using super spiritual means to cover over their sinful preferences. Well, I like this Bible teacher. Well, I like this Bible teacher. It sounds so super spiritual and so righteous. But ultimately, it's not. This is the most dangerous type of sin. It's the most pernicious type because it looks so harmless. But deep down, it is destroying the souls of the people in Corinth. And the same thing can happen to us if we prefer our things and put the things that we prefer over others. It's a dangerous thing for us as well. I have a friend uh, from seminary who was from Jones County, Mississippi. Um, And he said Jones County, Mississippi is known for a lot of things. Of course, the Free State of Jones that was filmed here, it's all about the Jones County, Mississippi. And he said, um, Jones County, Mississippi has more churches per capita than anywhere else in the world. And I said, well, that's great. So it's a pretty Christian place. He said, oh, no, it's terrible. There are fewer Christians there than anywhere else. They all go to church, but they aren't Christians. Well, why are there so many churches? Because they split over things like the kinds of lights and, and the church, uh, the, the color of the, of the carpet and those sorts of things, right? It's dangerous. When we put our preferences over the essential things of Jesus, there's divisions in the church. So what's the solution? What's the gospel solution? Verses 13 uh, through 17. What Paul does is he roots his um, correction in the solution, not in simply saying stop it, not in stop it, but think about Jesus. Think about who Jesus is. So he begins by saying, is Christ divided? Is there a separation in Christ? Does Christ prefer one group or another? Well, of course not. And he says, was Paul crucified for you? So those who are saying, well, I prefer Paul, thinking they're going to get on Paul's good side, he says, I wasn't crucified for you. How silly that you would say you prefer me over others. And then it's a real interesting thing. He says, or were you baptized into the name of Paul? He says, into whose name were you baptized? Well, of course, they were baptized into the name of Jesus. They come under the banner of Jesus. They are known by the name of Jesus. They aren't known by the name of Peter or Paul or Apollos. They're known by the name of Jesus. And then 14 and 15, uh, 14 through 16, he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say you were baptized in my name. Well, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I have baptized anyone else. So what's happening there? Well, you have to remember, um, it used to be very expensive to write these things. They didn't have something like uh, word processing where they could just simply backspace when they made a mistake. And so what he's saying there is, I only baptized these two people. And then after he says that, he goes, oh, wait, 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 I remembered. Then I baptized this, but I can't remember if I baptized anyone else. But he goes on to say, the point is, I did not 
baptize you into my name. And I don't want there to be any excuse for you to think that you are acceptable because you were baptized into Paul. So he goes on to say, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of power. He says, I want you to understand Jesus is not divided. Jesus did not send me to baptize. Jesus sent me to preach the good news because it is through the good news that you are saved. It is not through baptism, not through any work of man that you're saved. It is through hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting uh, that Paul is saying here, that the primary function of the church is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that is what the church should be about. It's not about preaching morality. It's not about teaching you how to be good. It's not about getting you to change your behavior to be good citizens. It's not about entertaining you so that you think this is a fun hour that you have to, to, to come here so just to entertain you. That's not what the church is here to do. The church isn't even here to soothe your conscience, to make you feel good. The church is here to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul says, what I do is I preach the painful and shameful death of the cross. I preach our Lord Jesus Christ dying on a tree. And in this world, that would have been completely and absolutely offensive. Paul says, we use the means that God has given us to transform lives. What are the means that God has given? Primarily, it's the preaching of the word as the spirit gives power to that word to bring dead men to life. That's the primary function of the church and what the church is here to do. It's an amazing thing to think about. Paul is going to return to that theme over and over and over again because in the church of Corinth, They really liked listening to people speak, especially people that were eloquent. Rhetoricians or politicians who knew knew how to talk good, they liked that. Paul says it's not listening simply to people who can put words and phrases together in pleasing ways, but it's hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, of Christ our God dying for us and being raised to new life that we might have new life with him. In conclusion, Paul says, don't be divided among yourself, but agree together among the essential things of who Jesus is and what he came to do. We need to agree over the gospel of Jesus Christ and then also agree together that that is the only thing ultimately that matters. And as we agree together about the gospel, All the other divisions in the church are going to melt away because we will be unified in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your word today. And we pray that, again, by your word, we might be unified. Lord, if there's someone here today who does not know you, we pray that you would do the work by the power of the Spirit, calling that person to yourself, transforming them and making them your child. And for us who have been your children, we pray that you would convict us of our sin of our lack of love for each other, our lack of love for Jesus, that you would help us to unite together and agree together that we are all one in Jesus through his finished work. Father, we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.